Streaming audio is made possible by Hungry Harvest, delivering farm-fresh produce and grocery staples to your door. Every delivery allows you to support local donations that fight hunger in the community. Learn more at HungryHarvest.net. This episode is brought to you by Washington, D.C.'s Taffety Punk Theatre Company, who are releasing Beauty Pill's Sorry You're Here, the soundtrack album for the play Suicide Chat Room. Blending orchestration and electronica, the music reflects the themes of the play, technology and loneliness and longing. In conjunction with the 10th anniversary remounting of the play, Sorry You're Here is available for the first time in a limited edition color vinyl with graphic design by Nora McKelvey. Pre-order yours now at taffetypunk.bandcamp.com. probably before I realized really that I was gay, but I kind of knew. And just to hear a woman singing about another woman was also like totally titillating. This is Essential Tremors. I'm Lee Gardner. I'm Matt Byers. The idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about songs that shaped who they are. We're not looking for favorite songs, necessarily. We're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them. Songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives, or their lives in general. How do you get away With all the things you Talia Zedek is a lifelong contributor to what are often referred to as the underground post-punk and no-wave movements. From her earliest bands such as Live Skull and Uzi to later project Come, there's a gritty sense of drama and darkness that pervades each band's catalog. Though her recent work is often more traditional in approach, she still conveys a similar sense of the world as a place comprised almost entirely of anger, longing, and heartbreak. The first song Zedek chose as being formative for her was Gloria by Patti Smith.
Jesus died for somebody's sins but not mine Milton part of thieves wild cord on my sleeve thick heart of stone my sins my own they belong to me me Um, I picked this song. I mean, I'm a big fan of her, her music, but I picked this particular song because it was the first song of hers that I heard. I didn't, I didn't know at all who she was. Um, and I, you know, had no sort of reference point, but I was listening, uh, to, I guess it was, I grew up in around DC and I was living, I think in silver spring at the time. And I was listening, must've been listening to a college radio station because, um, Gloria came on this was probably like 1976 or something and I was just immediately like whoa what's this I mean I'd never heard anything that sounded like that before and um I'd never definitely had never heard a woman singing who sang like that before um and uh you know and it was sort of like this I was really you know the lyrics were just kind of like outrageous and titillating and you know um yeah it was really it was really exciting and I remember just kind of like you know waiting and waiting and waiting for the for the uh DJ to say who it was and you know and you know kind of going out like immediately and trying to find her record um so uh yeah that was that was why I picked it and um you know I think I was thinking about it today a little bit more, um, you know, and, and kind of re-listening to that track, which I don't listen to all that much anymore. Um, it's might not even be my favorite song of hers, but it's the one that had the biggest effect on me. And I think, you know, it was a combination of someone who, uh, like I was already pretty interested in music, um, and singing. I wasn't like, um, but I always felt like my voice wasn't right. It wasn't like what, you know, the stuff I heard on the radio and, you know, when, you know, I'd kind of get together with my friends and play music. Like I couldn't like sing like Linda Ronstadt or, you know, like, you know, Joni Mitchell or something. And, um, and it was really frustrating. And I, and I, I loved singing, but I was like, I guess, you know, I can never be a singer. I have a terrible voice. And then I heard Patti Smith's voice and it was so powerful and so tough and so kind of rough and it wasn't super high and it was something, you know, I was like, God, I could, I could sing like that, you know? And, um, so I was just really um, immediately like, just kind of like, what, you know, what the hell? And, um, you know, listening to it again now, um, today, um, I realized that too, as like a gay person, it, probably before I realized really that I was gay, but I kind of knew. And just to hear a woman singing about another woman was also like totally titillating. So, um, you know, just, it was, uh, yeah. So it just really had a big effect on me. And I think like it really kind of was a gateway into me discovering punk because um, I didn't, you know, have much, cultural background or, you know, I just kind of lived in the suburbs and, um, 
and, you know, didn't really go out to record stores yet. But um, I think the following year I, I went to high school and I think, yeah, I think I heard it when I was in ninth grade and then I went to high school and there was this woman, this girl, she's a woman now, and she's actually also a musician, a musician called Azalea Snail. I don't know if you've ever heard of her work, but um, that's the name she goes under But um, now, but uh, I knew her by her, her real name. Anyway, there was this girl all dressed in black with a Patti Smith t-shirt on, and I was... And, you know, saw her at the locker and she didn't talk to like anyone else. And I was just like, oh, my God, she's got a Patti Smith shirt on. It was kind of like this secret code. I don't think anyone else in our high school knew who Patti Smith was. But um, we just so happened to um, have a have a class together and um, an art class. She was a year older than me, but the art class was like, you know, I think kind of like all ages, more or less. And um, so I met met Abby and, um, and this, this girl turned me on to so much punk stuff. Like she knew about everything, all the stuff that was happening in England. And she, you know, read cream and trouser press and turned me on to like x-ray specs and Ramones and, you know, you should listen to Lou Reed and, you know, Tom Robinson. So, yeah. And so all of that also started because of Patty Smith. And so that song really had a, a huge impact on my life. One of the things that's been great about doing the show is hearing how often someone tells a story about their younger years in which it's like they feel like they're the only one and then they meet someone who is also into what they're into. And that just little connection in some ways seems to matter as much as much as the music. (laughs) Definitely, you know, but I think in this case, like it really affected me musically too, because I didn't really know about punk. I mean, it was, you know, it was 76, 77. And, um, and so it was just so exciting, you know, discovered like the Ramones and, you know, and all this, all this stuff. And I was already playing music, but, um, you know, like I said, I didn't, I didn't really fit in musically because, you know, I didn't, I wasn't into like, I didn't fit into what most girls were doing, like kind of folk music and stuff. So finding punk to me, like as a musician too, it like really um, kind of gave me a freedom to, to sort of be myself and to, to, you know, to feel like I could, I could do it. And and me and Abby Michaels, the, the woman, Azalea Snail, we actually ended up forming a little band in high school. And then I got into like other punk bands and, you know, um, yeah, so it was, it was, it was, it was definitely like the community thing. And then also just, um, sort of like a musical, a huge musical, um, boost for me. So you were already playing. I was already playing. Yeah. What, what kind of stuff were you playing or trying to play? Well, it's funny. Like, um, so me, like I started out playing recorder and clarinet. <laughs> I was first recorder. And then I begged my parents to let me like learn clarinet. So we like rented a clarinet and my, my, I went to like a really big junior high in high school and we had, I was just lucky back then you actually had like bands, you know what I mean? So I was in the high school band. I was in, I think our junior high had a band and high school had a band. And, um, I was just always really, really into music. Um, and, uh, and then I was, 
you know, but I wasn't really into classical music. It was more into rock. So I was like playing clarinet with my friends who were like one of them. I, I was friends with these two twins, Rena and Tina, and one of them played drums and the other one played like bass, I think. And I played clarinet. You know, I was like, a, I was always like trying to find form bands with clarinet, you know, and, and, uh, because that's all I had and all I knew how to play. And then, um, and then I, I became friends with another girl in my neighborhood and her brother was like a bass player and like this kind of really cool, like rock musician. And he was in high school and, um, playing in all the bands and, you know, smoking pot and stuff. And, um, me and Pat Marin was her name. We started, um, I just borrowed guitars from her brother. I had like tons of guitars and we, it's weird. I was really into Bob Dylan. And so, and that was a really good way to learn, you know, cause his songs are pretty simple and it was easy to find a book with like simple chords and then, but I, me and Pat started writing our own songs pretty early on. So we were like writing songs already. I don't know why we just were. Um, and, uh, and yeah. And then uh, eventually, so I guess I was, I got an electric guitar, um, and, uh, a friend of my brother's, you know, as I got older, kind of the years went on, I, I knew more people that played and, um, I took some lessons from a friend of my older brothers who was really into blues and I became really into blues. So I guess this, the long, (laughs) the long answer to your question is I was kind of, I was playing a lot of blues before then and, um, and, and some folk too, but I was, I was like more into rock, I think, than folk. I like, I really like Bob Dylan, but then besides that, I'd kind of go for blues, but I didn't really know anything about like sort of like the real blues. So I was more like into like, Johnny Winter and John Mayle and stuff like that. And I would just take my guitar and just jam with people on the blues. <laughs> and that's kind of, yeah. And, and, and get really stoned. Um, anyway, that's, that's how I started. But uh, yeah, I think like when I getting in, getting into punk, I think I, I kind of like found out about like, you know, more, I, I was always growing up when I did, I was like, um, you know, born in 61 and going to high school in the seventies. And like all of our touchstones back then were like bands from the sixties and they were all dead or dying or sucked. You know what I mean? And then we definitely felt like, Oh man, we just, we missed it all. You know, we missed the sixties and now we're stuck in this like horrible 1970s, you know? And, um, so when punk came along for, you know, for people of my generation, it was huge because it was the first thing that we, really was our own you know what i mean was our generation so yeah it was kind of a big deal a question i love to ask can you remember the names of some of these early bands <laughs> well the band that me and abby were in we never had a name but i think the first band i was ever in and we actually recorded at don zantera's studio before like you know, Don Zantera was famous, but I remember distinctly that we recorded, we never played a show, but we recorded with Don Zantera's. We were called the fingers of shame. Whoa. Yep. And Don Zantera might, but probably does not have a recording of us somewhere. You know, you brought up, uh, the, the way this all started was not hearing the record, but hearing the record on college radio. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm not, too far from your age. We've talked to a number of people who fall within the sort of same generational uh, group. And one of the things that's been interesting, at least for me, is um, 
kind of talking about the period of time where it was really hard to find out about things. If you were lucky to have college radio, then um, you might have that access, but there was no internet. There was no Spotify or YouTube. Everything was a mystery. Um, And I'm wondering if you miss that in any ways, because frankly, sometimes I, I do. I mean, I still listen to the radio like all the time. I'm a total, I still love the radio and I listen to the radio and, um, you know, I, I love like, I'm so psyched that like about, well, I don't want to say podcast, but that the whole radio, I don't know what you call it. Radio art came back, you know, cause I always really liked that too. I used to listen to that really early on, like just sort of like, um, I can't remember who started it, but, um, I, so I'm still a huge radio fan. And, um, and I, there's, I live I've lived in Boston for a very long time now and there's absolutely killer college radio still in this town. And so I've, you know, it turned me on to so much stuff, but we've got like the MIT station, WMBR and, you know, the Boston college station, ZBC and ERS, but especially MBR and ZBC are really, really cool stations and kind of continue. So I would say in Boston, the college radio tradition is still really, really strong. We also have like this really great jazz guy. um, It's called Eric at night. And he um, does jazz on WGBH and has an amazing show. So yeah, I still, I really, really love the radio. I think I'm always going to be a radio person. And I I don't, I can't imagine like just kind of trolling Bandcamp or YouTube or something like that. I don't, I don't do that. But then again, I'm old, (laughs) you know, I don't know, but I think, but I mean, the college radio is still really a a big thing in, in Boston, you know, um, at least for me. The second song Zedek chose is essential to her formation as an artist was Current by Louisville, Kentucky band Circle X. songs that I picked were all songs that had a big impact on me musically. Um, and that, that seemed to be somewhat of the instruction. Well, you were like, it doesn't have to be your desert Island song or something like that. So, um, circle X was a record that I picked up completely randomly. Um, and just kind of like, 
it was the first band that I ever kind of the first kind of like experimental music I ever heard. Um, they used a lot of tape loops and kind of like music concrete. And, um, and I, I'd never heard anything like it before. And I just, I just, I just loved it. Um, this was probably a little, this was definitely later on. So like I'd already heard, I think like joy division and, you know, some interesting stuff was coming out of like Manchester and England at the time. But, um, I found this in a record store in Germany. I was in Germany because my mother's German and, um, and I was, it was like one of the last times I was visiting my grandmother over there. And, um, but I was already a bit older. And, um, so I, I was probably like, I don't know, 19 or 20. And, um, so I would get bored hanging out, you know, at my grandmother's house and I'd walk into town and I found this little record store and I was already, you know, pretty into music and maybe even in bands already. I was definitely still already living in Boston and I just saw this record cover and it intrigued me and I listened to it and I was, it was just, again, like, wow, I've never heard anything like this. Um, and who are these people? And, you know, the, the name of the record label was so mysterious and interesting. They were, it was on a French record label called Sordide Sentimental and like just everything about them was just so romantic and interesting. And, um, and, and really, um, yeah, really interesting to me musically and orally. It's, um, it's weird. Like I later, much later, many years later in the nineties, my band come was on Matador. And actually I found out that Gerard Cosloy actually had been a huge circle X fan too. And they actually released, they didn't do anything for like a really long time. And then the nineties, early nineties, Matador put out a new record of theirs, which was super exciting to me. And, um, and then again, heard nothing from them. And then two years ago, um, they played at this really cool festival in Louisville called Louisville, Kentucky called cropped out festival. I didn't had no idea that they were from Louisville, but, um, because from what I read, like a couple of the guys lived in New York and a couple of them had moved to France. They, they lived in Lyon. Like they were, just very cool and very mysterious and stuff. And, um, and anyway, I, I went to the festival in Louisville. Um, my girlfriend kind of gave it to me as a birthday present. We did a road trip down there and I saw circle X and met them and like, you know, talked to them and they had all this, all this really, really, you know, old singles and stuff that I never knew was around. And, um, which of course I bought up, I think, I think at least one of the guys is in the, in the band died possibly even two, but they were still really good. And I got, to, I got to see them live and it was just, yeah. So I, yeah, it was a really important record for me. Um, when I kind of, after a long time, I started a new band a few years ago and, um, it's, it's a band called, the name of the band is E just the letter E and we've, uh, released our, released two records on thrill jockey already. And we're about to release our third record. We've actually played in Baltimore a bunch of times. Um, one of the guys in the band is from Baltimore. Um, Gavin McCarthy, who used to play drums in a band called karate. Um, but, uh, and then, uh, Jason Sanford, who was in a band called Neptune. And it's much more experimental than the stuff I do in my solo career. And, um, and I played, you know, when I first asked Jason if he wanted to try to play together, um, 
I didn't know him that well. And we kind of were traveling in different musical circles in Boston, but I just had a feeling there was something there. And Circle X is, is the band that I played for him. So, you know, that's, that's a band that I play for people. And I'm kind of like, this is, this is what I'm into. At the time when you first heard this, did it send you off in a new direction or were you playing music at that point? Yeah, I was playing music and it it definitely did. Um, I mean, I already, like I started playing music pretty, pretty young, like, and I was like, I was in bands and playing out by the pretty regularly by the time I was 18. So, um, and I, I moved to Boston when I was 17. Um, and went to college for one semester and then promptly dropped out because it was getting in the way of all my, (laughs) my musical aspirations. But, um, but, uh, so I had heard mission of Burma and there was a quite a interesting post punk and sort of art punk scene that was really inspired by, uh, the no wave stuff that was going on in New York. And there was a, a lot of crossover between Boston and New York because Boston, there was a lot of universities here. And in, at the time, unlike now, Boston was a pretty depressed city. So there was a big loft scene. And um, it was one of the few cities where like people like Lydia Lunch and James Chance and, you know, later Sonic Youth could, could drive up to and play and get like a great audience that kind of understood what they were at. So, um, I, anyway, I'd heard mission of Burma back then and, um, and they were doing a lot with tape loops. And so I was already kind of intrigued by tape loops and, um, circle X, I'd already heard mission of Burma and then circle X took that kind of thing even further with, um, their music. And, um, and I, it kind of probably was, that and the next song I'm going to talk about, which was the next, were kind of pretty instrumental in me kind of getting away from the kind of garage punk pop stuff that I was writing and kind of doing and going in a more experimental direction. And I um, formed this band called Uzi, which utilized tape loops and a bunch of other stuff was, was really not, was kind of more, a lot different than punk and um we put out an ep on homestead records and that ep kind of got me the job becoming the lead singer of live skull because they were really loved that ep and the band broke up unfortunately i think before the ep ever came out but it made a pretty big impression i guess i guess i found out later when it came out and um live skull was also on homestead and sonic youth and all those bands and um I kind of like moved me, uh, yeah, into meeting a whole new group of musicians. And so I'd say, yes, discovering that Circle X record definitely kind of pushed me in, in a direction of, of music that to me, anyways, is more interesting.
final song Zedek chose as being crucial to her was Junkyard by Australian band The Birthday Party. I am the king. I am the king. So the third song is, um, and this was, you know, again, um, I could have picked any one of the, this is a junkyard by the birthday party. And I could have picked a number of other birthday party songs. Um, I discovered the birthday party again, like circle X, it was at a record store. And, um, this time I didn't even, I think that when I discovered circle X, I could actually play the record in the record store. I think I bought the birthday party's earlier record prayers on fire simply based on the cover and um just wanting to discover something new it was my lucky day i bought um the birthday party's prayers on fire and the gun club fire of love (laughs) so maybe there was a theme there i don't know um but uh yeah I, i totally lucked out and the birthday party completely blew my mind but prayers on fire was almost like too kind of jazzy for me to quite process i liked it but i wasn't sure i mean i liked it and it was really interesting but i and i would play it for people but i thought it was really interesting i wasn't sure how much i liked that record there's elements of it i liked but i definitely kept my eye out for that band and by then i was working um as a record store clerk and so their next record they released was junkyard which is actually quite different from prayers on fire um and and I just became obsessed with that record. I would just play it over and over and over again. And, um, uh, you know, it's something about Nick Cave's voice, um, sort of like the swinging rhythm, the elements of blues and, um, and, and, you know, I think the lyrics and it was, I don't know. It was just so, it just hit me like so hard. You know, I'd never heard anything like that. It was like so, so tough. And, um, you know, and I just was a huge fan. And they, they released two really good EPs after that record and then broke up. And, but then Nick Cave went on to start his solo career, which was also like incredibly important to me. And, you know, I've really, really enjoyed like all of his stuff. Um, haven't been, following him quite as much, you know, in the last 10 years. I mean, he's just put out so much stuff, but like definitely like from her to eternity was huge for me. And, um, and then I, I really also liked, um, uh, I think it was tender prey was another really big one for me, but, um, it all, it all came from initially hearing prayers on fire, not quite knowing how to make of it, what to make of it. And then when I heard junkyard, like his voice had just totally changed. He kind of had this almost like Jim Morrison type swagger. And I don't know, it just, it just killed me. So that song, I don't know. I think, uh, so many songs on that record, like 
you know, Big Jesus Soulmate Trash Can. I mean, like, just like every song on that record is just is just amazing, and they sounds like nobody else. It's funny how he's gone from that guy, sort of feral creature, uh, to becoming this sort of elder statesman, this this poet, this kind of almost. I started to say Tony Bennett, and I don't mean to make that sound like an insult or anything. And then I totally yeah. know what you mean. Yeah. Now I love what he's doing now. I love this sort of like conversation thing and how he's has this blog. I don't know if we'd call it a blog, but a red right hand where fans can write into him and, and he answers them. And, he, and um, I think it's, I think it's really beautiful. I think, I think he is just a beautiful person. I don't always love all of his music now anymore, you know, to the level that I used to, but I think, um, as a human being and what he's doing as a performer and the way he opens himself up. Um, and, you know, I love reading what he has to say. I was, I was lucky enough to meet him a couple of times. Um, my band come opened up for the bad seeds and my band, Oh God, I forgot about this. My band dangerous birds in the early eighties opened up for the birthday party. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I forgot about that. And I remember they it was their first time in the US and we were the opening band and they asked to borrow our equipment. And I was so honored that Roland Howard was going to play through my twin reverb, which honestly was a really crappy twin reverb. It was a twin reverb, but someone had done some terrible things to it. Many people had probably done terrible things to it. So he was probably really excited. Oh, well, you know, I've got a twin. That's my amp. And then he plugged in and it didn't really sound like a twin. And he spent most of the set like bitching about the amp. But I didn't even care because I knew that he was right and that, and, you know, and that they were amazing. But um, so so we opened up for a birthday party. And then um, I think I, I don't, can't remember if I met them then or not. They might have been like too like burned out or tired. It was the first date of their European tour bands used to do that. Then they used to fly, especially from England, from England to Boston, because it was cheap and kind of do a warm up show in Boston before they went to New York. So, um, but I, then my band come opened up for, uh, the bad seeds once and I met him too. And, uh, so uh, not only do I have the utmost respect for him as an artist, he also just seems like a wonderful, wonderful human being when, and it's always it's always so great when someone you idolize for their art also turns out to be a wonderful person, you know what I mean? Cause it's not always the case, but when it, when it does work out like that, it just makes it extra, extra great. It sounds like based on our limited sample, you've had pretty good luck with that. What do you mean? Well, you, you met circle X or members of circle X. Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, 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 I did. Everybody's been nice. Yeah, there's certainly, but but Nick Cave was different. Like I mean, I've met Patty Smith too. Not, I mean, they were they were nice. They were fine. But I mean, Nick Cave was was really it was kind of weird, you know, because like, he's so scary, especially like you know his like, whole persona, especially maybe not so much now, but early on. And I just remember, I okay, I went, I became obsessed with um, from her to eternity to his first solo record. I was working at Newberry Comics at a record store then. And one of the, I was working with this woman, Danuta, who was from London. And she somehow was really good friends with Barry Adamson. He was playing with his band, in his band on that first solo tour. And so we went to the show and she had backstage passes from Barry. And I was so obsessed with Nick Cave. Like I, I, I wrote this whole 
<laughs> really lengthy poem on a scroll. And it was all, it was kind of based on one of the songs on from her to eternity called a box for black Paul. And it was like, it was like a uh, really long and rolled up and in some kind of like crazy box with black. I don't know. Like I, you know, I made some weird thing and I gave it to him, which is right. Totally cheesy. Right. I was probably like 21 at the time, 22. And he took it like it was made of glass. You know what I mean? And just, thank you very much. You know what I mean? And put it somewhere special and just, yeah, just even from back then, he was really just like that. Even when I was just, uh, you know, total fan. But then I met him again much later and um, I never reminded him of that, but that was the time that my band come opened up for them in Boston. And it was the same. He's just a very, very um, polite and sweet person. I wonder, um, not sure why I think about this, but do you ever think about the person you might have become if you hadn't had all these little intersections with, with this music and others? Um, no, man, I've never thought about that, actually. And you know why? Because like I was really single-minded. Like, I have to say, it was not... It was not an an accident on my part. Like I did not come from a musical family and I didn't, you know, know anyone in the music scene. And, you know, I wasn't at all in any way encouraged by my parents to pursue this. So I really, really, um, I really kind of did it on my own, you know, like, um, and got lucky. I'm not saying I didn't get lucky, but I, I wanted it so bad. It was, it was all I wanted was to play music. I don't know. And I'm still doing it and it's, it's still all I want to do. But, um, you know, I guess, you know, yeah. So I never, I like, you know, I, I just kind of, I put aside every, everything else really. Um, and I think, I don't know if that means I'm a really boring person. Like sometimes I have friends that are like, you're so lucky because you knew what you wanted to do. And you know what I mean? Like, and they've had a million jobs and tried a million things. And I was like, yeah, but I don't know, but you, but you've had a really interesting life and you're interested in a lot of things. And for, for whatever reason, I'm a little bit of a, a one track person, uh, you know, and I don't necessarily think that's good. I mean, I've done other stuff, you know, for, for money for sure. And, um, I've done a lot of, you know, I'm a, been a cook many times and worked in catering and worked in restaurants and, um, and that's something that I actually really enjoy too, though I'd much rather be making music, but I have to say I do enjoy, enjoy cooking too. Um, not always, you know, working in restaurants and stuff, but, um, but, uh, you know, I enjoy it, but, and, but I don't think I would have been like a chef or anything, you know, like, um, and I never was, I'm just never like, you know, had any interest, any interest in that, but, um, yeah, it's kind of strange, but I know I ha- I have never thought about the person I would have become if I hadn't done music. Well, you probably shouldn't start now. <laughs> it's time for a career change. I'm sure everyone. No, no I think it's. Uh, I think I'm kind of. I'm. I. You know. I've. You know. I've thought about doing other things, and maybe I should do something else in the music 
business, you know, because then I'd actually make some money. But um, I just I don't really have a have a desire to. I mean, yeah, I think I think I think I probably won't be having a major career change. This has been Essential Tremors. Essential Tremors is produced by me, Matt Byers, and Lee Gardner. Essential Tremors is distributed by WYPR Baltimore and NPR. Look for and subscribe to all of WYPR's podcasts at wypr.org slash podcast central. For more information about Essential Tremors, go to EssentialPodcast.com. Thanks for listening.